just we add them to our list. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll look at God's Word tonight. Father, I just want to tell you thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you for grace, for mercy, for healing, for protection, for love, for loving us in spite of us, God. But, Lord, you, you hear the prayer requests, Lord, certainly many broken hearts, Lord. I can't imagine a mom losing a 15-year-old son. This, this family, Emma's family, God, to a battle of cancer, Lord. Every one of us here has lost somebody to cancer and seen battles through cancer and loved ones and close ones to us, but God, I can't imagine the thought of a, of a 12-year-old. I can't imagine the, the thought of just a few months ago, God, that they, that they claimed the cancer was gone, and then it comes back with, with such a vengeance. But God, we know that nothing takes you by surprise. You know all things, you hold all things, and you can comfort all things, God. You can give grace when it doesn't make sense, God. You can help people stand and walk, and you can put a smile on somebody's face in the darkest time of the night. And God, by your amazing grace, and that's what we pray for these families, God, for 12,000 plus people over in Syria and Turkey. God, people, and the ones even surviving in the devastation that they're dealing with, God, you and you alone can reach over and touch, God, and make sense out of nonsense, God. And Lord, he may talk about the, the, the little girl doesn't understand. A lot of us don't understand a lot of things, God. I thank you for being so patient with us and kind to us and long-suffering, God, and knowing that we don't understand. But one thing we do know is that you said your ways are not our ways, that your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher, and that you hold all things under your hand, God. We know that at the end, Father, that you'll make all things work out together, Father. So I pray with these that are suffering and these that are struggling, may you put your hand upon them, God. Give, give healing to the sick, God. Give strength to the weak. Lord, give grace to the hurting, God, and, and help to the helpless, Father. Do what only you can do, Father, and just meet them in their time of need. We love you, Father. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn Acts chapter 20, pick up where we left off. Miss Frieda, is that clock not going to be on up there? I better lay my phone out up here then. Oh, there it is. We'll have a clock. Never mind. I'll put it back up. Um, so last week we left off chapter 20, verse number 35, I've showed you all things, how so that labor and you ought to support the weak. And remember the, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I really was hoping to finish that chapter last week, but just a, a couple things there. And Paul is reminding them one thing that, that he's already told them. He didn't shun anything. When he preached, he preached the truth. He preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't dance around feelings. He didn't dance around thoughts. He didn't dance around individuals. He didn't, he wasn't going to dance around the subject of money because the biggest payer in the church was, was it sideways or something. He, he just preached the whole counsel of God. He says it's good for the rich to help the poor, the strong to help the weak, and uh, you know the, the healthy to help the sick. There's and more blessed to give than to receive. The, the word support that he uses there it mean, means to take by the hand. It goes literally hand in hand with James chapter 2 verse 20. Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Listen, if we want people to know we're Christians, we ought to act like Christ. If we want people to know that we love them, act like we love them. If we want people to know that we care, act like we care. If we want, if we want people to see Christ, then, then we've got to live a Christ-like life. That they see Christ in us and Christ through us. Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Upon the altar, and he said, "See us how faith wrought works, and by his works." Faith was made perfect. Verse number 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works man is justified, not by faith only. Now, that's not, that's not going against anything the word of God says. Salvation is by grace and grace alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. But if we are saved, then we ought to act saved. This isn't saying that your works will get you saved. It says that if you are saved, that our works 
ought to be indicative of the fact that we are saved. Well, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she'd received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works dead also. So if, we're, if, if we don't have any spiritual fruit, then we're lacking in the spiritual root. It's, the Word of God says you know the tree by the fruit. If the fruit's bad, I'm sorry, I'm not being judgmental. If, if there's no real fruit, there's no real root. That's what it says. There ought to be faith. There ought to be um, actions to back up what we say. And so we spent time a couple Sunday mornings ago. We were talking about how faith is a verb, an action verb. And, and everything that Jesus did was an example of doing good for others. Everything that Jesus did was for the benefit of others. He was always looking to do good things. And if we're going to be like Christ, then our faith has got to be visible in the way we live. So, so Paul, he closes out by praying for him. Verse number 36 of Acts chapter 20. It says, when he kneeled it, uh, thus spoken, he kneeled down, prayed with them all. They all wept sore, fell on Paul's neck, kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, it doesn't tell us what the apostle Paul prayed. We know that Paul prayed for him in Ephesians 3.14 when he wrote the letter. This calls, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the prayer that he prayed there. Um, it may have been something like that, but it doesn't really tell us. But I, I was thinking about... He's talking about the sorrow and all that's there and how as Paul sails off in the ship, all of the emotions that it would have been going through. I mean, he's been there. They built the church. They, you know, many of them are people that he's led to the Lord. They, they are converts of his own preaching, of his own teaching. Others, they've grown together. You, you know, it doesn't matter. You can't expect Paul to have been there and preached and been around other Christians for two and a half years and Paul didn't learn stuff as well, Right? None, none of us, we're, we're all always learning, and iron sharpeneth iron. So being around one another, sharpeneth things. So they've learned things together, done things together. So there's, there's this sadness at departing, the sorrow, the possibility of the fact that they're never going to see each other again this side of heaven. And so, so it goes on in, in verse number 1. I read 36 through 38, didn't I? Y'all got to help me. Verse number one, it came to pass that after, he says, we were gotten from them. Now, if we did a little minor word study right there on that, gotten from them, that means that they were literally plucked from their arms. These people were clinging to them. They're, they're holding on to them, and, and they had to pluck them away from their arms to, to get away, or they were going to miss the ship. So what we have here is this time of great weeping. It's a time of, of great sorrow and, and, and separation. But at the same time, I was thinking about it today, about how that, that might have been. You got all of the elders of the church at Ephesus. They're sorrowful and they're weeping and they get on the ship and, the, and Paul and all his crew, they're sorrowful and they're, they're weeping. They know they're, they're going away, but as the ship pushes away and begins to get in, and the faces are far enough away that you can no longer see the tears and you just see the waving and eventually the, the people begin to disperse. The elders start making their way back to Ephesus and the ship kind of goes over the horizon. You got to think that... that something new and fresh began to happen. You, you were sorrowful that you're going away. You're sorrowful of the separation, but, but yet now they're coming up on, on a time of excitement. I mean, they're, they're coming up on, on new horizons. There is an anticipation of what's about to happen, even though they don't know exactly what it is. All they know is they're going to make their way back to Jerusalem to get back in time for the Passover. Uh, but uh, I mean, for um, 50 days, somebody bail me out. 
Pentecost, the 50th day day of Pentecost. They want to get back in time to, to celebrate that. So there's things ahead of them. It, it, it just makes me, I was thinking about that, makes me think we need to get a little dose of that. There, there's, a, there's a lot of the, I wish it were the way it was disease going on. There, there's a lot of, I, I wish music was like it used to be. I wish church was like it used to be. I wish this was like it used to be. I wish that was like it used to be. Well, it ain't. English, English lessons. It's not. Huh? <laughs> there are a lot, every day that we're left on this life is a day that God can use us. Every day that we have left is a day that God can do something that hasn't been done yet. Every day of this life going forward is a day that God can use to reach somebody that's lost that hasn't been reached yet. Yesterday's old news, and whether we succeeded or failed yesterday doesn't matter. If we succeeded, you can't bring that victory over and count for today. And if we failed, it doesn't matter because the grace of God's already erased it. So what counts is today. So I'm thinking it's a good picture kind of where we need to be in life. There's some sorrow. There's some sadness there of what's going on. But, but here they are. There, there's some, some new horizons coming. There's some new joy and, and, and new excitement. So verse number one there goes on. After they, after they torn themselves away and they, they set sail, they're headed south. It says that they had launched. We came with a straight course to Coos. And the day following unto Rhodes and from thence to Patara. Now, you guys know any time, it doesn't matter what chapter, what book, what verse, my goal is one. I want to study the Word of God, and I want to learn what the Word of God is telling us, but I want to know how is it applicable to my life. Not, not just what happened 2,000 years ago. Not, not just, listen, I know that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. I know the story, but I want to know how that was applicable to my life. I need to know that it was applicable because the blood of Jesus Christ is what washed away my sins. I, I know that the empty tomb is applicable because it's what gives me life after the grave. It's what gives me eternal life. So I, I want everything to know how is, how is this particular story applicable to me. So it, when, when you look there at the towns that went to, the, you know, we talked about last week or maybe in the week before about how this was kind of like an inland passage. You know, it talks about the different islands. We talked about like that inland passage at, at Alaska, that, that there's land on the side. There was always islands around. And so they're, they're trailing along. But the most notable island here on this trip would have been Rhodes because Rhodes was a very famous island. It had a lighthouse. It was called the Colossus of Rhodes. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But now here's the thing about the lighthouse. It wasn't just a lighthouse. Historians tell us that it was a statue. It was about 100 foot tall. And they say the size of the thing was so vast to give you an idea. It says that a man couldn't reach his arm around the thumb on the hand of the statue. So we're talking about a pretty good-sized statue that stands over the harbor of Rhodes, and it stands there as a lighthouse. But here's the story of it. It was built after Demetrius of Alexandria sought to seize the island. He wanted it for a vantage point. He wanted it because of its harbor capabilities. And so he wanted to take over the island. But after a year, he, uh, after a year of fighting, he couldn't take it over. So he gave up on his attempt. And they said that when he pulled out, he left a lot of the military equipment behind. So what the people of Rhodes did was they took the, these military vehicles, these chariots and things that were there, and they melted them down. They made, it bronze, they, they made bronze plates. And then they bolted the bronze plates together to build the statue, and they filled it with sand and stone and rocks and things to, to weight it down. Historians tell us that it took about 12 years to complete 
the construction of this giant statue. It would have been a, a lot like the Statue of Liberty stands over the harbor there at New York. But the difference is it represents freedom. It, it represents in God we trust. This is a statue that stood over the harbor there that, that represented a false god. They, they say that, that it faced to the east where the sun would brightly reflect from in the daytime. But, but the Colossus, they built it in honor to the mythical god Helios. And they built it in honor to this god, which, which is one of the, the Greek patron gods of the sun. And they built it in honor to this god for giving them victory over, over Demetrius. So, so they put it up there, and, and it said that there was a, a torch in his hand. I'm not really sure if it's 100 foot tall. I have no idea who's going to spend lighting that torch at night. Y'all with me? There's some things that I read, I'm like, yeah, how? But, but nonetheless, that's what made it the lighthouse, that they put it up, and it was a reflection from all this bronze that, that's up there. Now, nobody knows exactly what it looks like because it was destroyed 56 years after it was built by an earthquake. They, they passed an oracle and that, that advised against the rebuilding of the statue. So for 800 years, it laid in pieces. Finally, they sold the pieces to the Arabs who came and made it into smaller pieces so that they could transport it back. And they melted it down and they made different stuff. But here's why I take your time to tell you this. On the island of Rhodes stands a 100-foot tall, magnificent tribute to a false god. On this little bitty ship here in our story is a handful of men going to tell the world about the one true God. 56 years later, an earthquake took down the false god. 2,000 years later, everybody's still preaching the gospel of the one and only true God. So, so <clears throat> David said in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, he said, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Well, sometimes we just need to hang on to that verse. Troubles are going to come. As long as we're in this life, as long as we're in this world, troubles are going to come. And, and sometimes, just, just like the daughter, we're, we're not going to understand it. Things happen in our lives that we're not going to understand. Everybody with me? Y'all ain't here by myself, am I? Bad things happen to good people. But, but nothing happens that God doesn't know about. And nothing happens that God can't deliver you through or deliver you from. Some things God will deliver us from. But some things God delivers us through. Some storms you just got to go through. Some challenges you just got to go through. It's what makes our faith greater on the other side. No, I was talking to a young man just this week out at prison. And I, and I told him, I said, don't, don't forget you've heard me preach this. Sometimes you got to live through your test so that your test can become your testimony. Don't lose hope right here. Don't lose faith. You, you, you got a mistake. Pay for it. But God can use that. A test becomes a testimony of, of greater things. And so he says God is our refuge of very a very present help in trouble. Not going to be a help. Not somebody we can write off to get help. But he is help in the midst of every trouble. A present help. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth be removed. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. And though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says. That the grass withereth. And the flower fadeth. Now, I'm going to be kind of like Sunday morning like I was right here. I'm not going to add to the Word of God because I don't want the plagues of this book added to me. So I'm not ever adding anything to this book. But, but just kind of to include, idols come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. Statues and false gods get built. And, and then they either time or storm, whatever, destroys them and takes them away. But the Word of God never fails. So, so this God that, that they built, it fell to the moving of the earth. And 
I, I mean, for me, when I was studying this last week and, and didn't get to it, but this week, the timing, and I'm not saying that, that I wanted to learn something out of destruction, but it doesn't change the fact that the timing of it is the timing of it. And, and after I talked with Ms. Gooch, and I'll be honest, I had, I'd been in meetings all day. We had the, the Bible History Center that day, and I had some meetings on top of locking myself out of my car. That can't be done. If you have a key fob and put it in it, it won't lock right. That's a lie straight from you know where. Because that joker locked and my key was in it. And I never got in it. Daddy brought my key. So my day's shot. It's the evening. I'm from meetings to meetings. I talked to Miss Goose. And she tells me, I, I've heard, I ain't heard nothing about it. I literally didn't know about earthquakes. Didn't know anything. I said, well, look, let me, let me get up here. It was about 6 o'clock. Because I said, let me hurry up and get in the house. I'm going to go turn on 6 o'clock news. Which they went right to killing in Atlanta like normal. That's why I don't watch the news. So, but I finally found on the world news and, and I started watching and immediately this came to mind because when that earthquake started, I saw buildings start becoming powder as the earth shake would shake and the buildings are shaking and, and they just become powder. And, and I thought that's that statue that, that, that's that, that's that false God. That's what, that's what people were worshiping. They're worshiping this, this, this false this false God, and, and yet uh, an earthquake just, just turns it into powder. It, it turns it into nothing. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You know, we looked a few weeks ago. It's been a few weeks back when we were at Ephesus and Paul's Ephesus. But we looked at the great temple of the goddess Diana, right? That's what they were famous for. They had that great temple there to, to the goddess Diana. That temple's gone. The great statue that was built by Nebuchadnezzar there in the book of Daniel. He said, everybody has to bow down. Every knee at the sound of the flute, the trumpet, the, the coronet. Every knee has to bow down and worship this idol that I built. And that's going to be the God of Egypt, or the Egyptians and the God of the world. That idol's gone. This, this colossus that they built here uh, over the harbor there at Rhodes. That they built this 100 foot tall bronze to shine in the sun. To be a lighthouse and to be a statue. It's gone. But Jehovah God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's not just that he's not going to be torn down by the storms, but he holds the storms in his hand. The blood of Jesus Christ, that those men on that ship passing by that little island, the blood that they were talking about is still alive and well. The, the, the blood and the Jesus they were talking about is still saving souls today. The blood that they were traveling and talking about is still changing lives today. The Holy Spirit that filled them, that was getting them through storms and getting them through their trials and getting them through their tri tribulations, is the same Holy Spirit today that's getting you through yours. It's the same Holy Spirit that's holding you up when you can't stand. It is the same. It, it is our God. It is amazing to me that people would put that much trust in an idol made with human hands and yet fail to put their trust in the only true and living God. It's, just, it's hard for me to comprehend that people put their trust in something that an earthly storm can tear down, but they won't put their trust in the one that holds the storm in the palm of his hand. But that's just where people are. I was, I was reading a thing a couple days ago talking about how idols rise and fall and how they decay over time and have to be redone, you know, and try to keep up. But the quote said, I'm glad that my God is stronger than that, so I don't have to be. You know, that's the reality. It is not that we have to be strong. It's that we have to hold on to the one that is. Count on him to hold it up. So, okay, by Acts chapter 21, verse 2 and 3, says, Finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unlaid her burden. 
And what we see here is that this part of the journey drastically changes. This is no longer an inland passage on, on a smaller boat. When, when Paul and company left Miletus after their, their goodbye with, with the elders there at the church at Ephesus, they're, they're on a little bit of a smaller boat inside, staying close to land at all times. But here at Patara, they, they have boarded an ocean vessel. They, they've gotten on board a huge ship that is able to sail open waters, and, and it's laden with, with a great burden. It's laden with a lot of supplies. There's a lot of things on the ship. Now, this is a big deal because Paul's still trying to make it there for Pentecost, right? He's still on a time schedule, so they sailed this straight course from Patara to Tyre without stopping. Theologians tell us that this would have been only about a five- or six-day trip, depending on wind and weather, about five or six days. But here, here's something I couldn't help but wonder, and, and so I went back and I'll share with you some things I ran across. If, if all that mattered was we're leaving from here and we're getting to here and we got on the ship, why did he mention Cyprus? If all that mattered was getting by and we... And we, we the, here, here, here's my thought. There had to be something special about Cyprus in order for him to, to mention it. So the, the special, the, the things that, that would be special for them is that would have been the region of Paul's first missionary journey. You, you got Barnabas there. You, you got Mark there. Y'all remember when we talked about Elimus the sorcerer? Remember Elimus the sorcerer when he came up? We, we did it, Acts chapter 13. So his name by interpretation withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Remember that? The deputy there of the land, the overseer of the land, was, was listening to the things of Christ. And verse number 9 said that Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes over him, said, O thou, o, o full of all subtility and, and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to perverse the right ways of the Lord? There's a lot of memories there on that island. There's a lot of converts there on that island. Not just the leaders of the church at Ephesus. But there's a lot of people that Paul led to the Lord. There's a lot of people that they love and that love them. So as so they pass by, that's probably a sad time, happy time. He took time to mention, I'm just thinking it had to have stood out in their mind. More than likely, the passing by of this island brought about some conversations where they talked about some people and some people that they missed. And they probably talked about how, they, man, I wish we had time to just stop and hug them one more time. I wish we had time to just stop and fellowship with them with a little bit. So some, some sad times that they can't stop by. But yet there's some happy times about the work that God's doing there. And, and I, I would feel pretty comfortable um, just from what we know of the Apostle Paul and the studies and things he does. That there was probably a great prayer time on that ship. As they were passing by and that island began to fade away, probably Paul wanted to probably say, hey guys, let's just stop and pray for them that the work of the Lord would work mighty there. You know, you still got guys like old Elimus that's still back on that island. The power of God's greater. But you still got adversaries. You still got people coming against them. Let's just take a little time and pray. I'm just, something had to have happened to make Luke just, just say, hey, you know, we just, we just passed by there on, on the left side. Well, th the same thing, I, I was thinking about because the same thing is true when, when we look back on our journeys in life. When we look back on, on all the things that God has brought us through. There, there's some sad times that God's brought us through. There's some happy times that God's gave us. There's mountains and valleys both in all of our past, right? You, you look back to, to your first missionary journey. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you look back to your first trip, it changed you. 
It, it, it's where it all started. I believe the well, it all started probably with, with mom wouldn't stop praying, but probably that, that first missionary trip I went had a lot to do with I ended up standing here. I'm just telling you, it changed some things. It, it changed some things in me, and God began to use that to teach me how to love people. They didn't look like me, act like me, walk like me, talk like me. They, 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 they're different color, they're different language, they're different everything. And God taught me how to love them with everything in me. Because the first thing I had to learn how to just love people unconditionally. And, and so I know that that first mission trip changed some things in me. And, and everybody's the same. If it wasn't a mission trip, it's the first time you volunteered to serve in something. It's the first time you get off the pew to actually work in something. It's the first time that, that you signed up or, or stepped up to the plate to be involved in something. All of us have memories of the first time that we stepped up. Hey, I'm just going to let the Lord use me right here. May not even knew what we were signing up for. Peter Hutchins got me into one of the big ones I've ever been in. The time when this church was putting together a pulpit committee. And they were taking names of anybody that wanted to be on the pulpit committee. It was after Brandon Brooks had left. And I was sitting, I was sitting there right there where Mr. Noel Edwards is, minding my own business. And Peter Hutchins come up and says, did you put your name on that list? I said, no, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy to be on a pulpit committee. I, I'm, I'm not the kind of man that can go out and look for a pastor of a church. And here's what Peter Hutchins said. Cold, brother. Cold. You ain't signing up to be on it. You just sign it up to tell her no, well, not you're going to let God use you. If God don't want you on it, you ain't going to be on it. The, the question is, are you willing to let God use you? I was like, man, bro, you don't cut no slack, do you? I want to put my name on the list. Next time, I know I'm on the pulpit committee. But, but a lot of us, anybody know what I'm talking about? You can look back in moments that changed your life. And, and I feel like there, there was a lot of that probably here as Paul is, is they're all looking back. I, I don't think they just passed by without discussion, without some things there. Because I don't know why else Luke would have included, hey, we just passed by the island on the left. He didn't mention any of the other islands. So, so there's a lot of, lot of memories there. So any rate, Paul and company, um, at the end of the day, they, they land there at Tyra. Um, they're going to be there for a little bit. The ship's got to unload its bird and they got to get all the cargo off. Paul and company says they go looking for something. They're not going shopping. They're not going looking for souvenirs. They're not looking for things to take back to Jerusalem. They went looking for Christians to fellowship with. It's what it says. Verse number four says, finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul through the spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, Luke is the only person in all the New Testament that that uses this word for finding, he uses it twice. The first time is in Luke 2, 16, when they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And he uses it here in the Acts of the Apostles. It comes from where it means by searching or by repetition looking for something that they found what they're looking for. Some theologians say that Paul would have been privy to the fact that there was a church here at this location. Now, I don't, I don't, a lot of these guys know a lot of stuff, and a lot of them just smart, and they got a lot of history and a lot of studying. I can't guarantee this because I'm not smart enough to vouch for all of it. I'm just giving you what some theologians have put in there. They said that Paul probably already knew of the existence of this church and that there were some brethren there. If for no other reason, this church was probably formed in the days of the persecution that was brought about by Saul, who is a.k.a. who? Apostle Paul, who, who is now, now coming back. So more than likely, they said the time of the founding of this church would have been right around the time of the stoning of Stephen. So 
from that, the Apostle Paul knows from back then that there is a church here in it. He was probably looking for it at the time. It's quite possible that he was looking for Christians to martyr at that church at the time. But there's some reason he was looking for something. He went to find something. Usually you don't go looking, trying to find something unless you've got a pretty good idea something's around there, right? So, so at any rate, Luke tells in verse 4 that, that some of these believers, they told Paul that through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem for fear of danger. Now, the news of the impending danger, that's, that's nothing new to Paul. It's not a new revelation to Paul. He already told us about it in the last chapter, verse 22, 23. Behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He said, I got trouble coming. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So the apostle Paul knows he's got some chains coming. He knows he's got some burdens coming. He knows he's got some hard times coming. He, he already knows that. So, so I was a little puzzled by the statement and... I still am, so I'll leave you confused with me. I, I read different scholars, different opinions, look, looking at this verse here. The Holy Ghost went on every city bond. He's already told us that, that he knows these things. And, but it, it says that, that there's some people that, it says that they're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But it doesn't say that they told him with his mouth. It, it says, who said to Paul through the Spirit. That he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, now that word through, it, it means to act, uh, an act by which something moves. And the Greek words used for the spirit right there comes from a word that, that means rationale. By implication or by mental disposition. So, so here's what I'm thinking. In, anybody, anybody ever, ever told somebody that you were going to do something? And they're like, okay. And they didn't tell you that was a bad idea. But you got a pretty good idea they think that's a bad idea. You know what I'm talking about? The story can go the other way. People tell you something, you're thinking, that's stupid. You're going to get hurt. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't want to say it, but you know the look on your face is saying everything you're trying not to say. And, and so I don't know. They told him through the Spirit. It doesn't say they told him out loud. And they, it's like you, you're going to get hurt. And, and Paul already knows that. But here's, here's what I see in it. Paul, before he ever left where he was, knows that, that he's going to go through some hard times. And, and, and yet we know that the Holy Spirit has given him something to do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Anybody with me? Applicable, right? That's our word, applicable. When God's given you something to do, other people's opinion ain't what's got to sway your decisions. When the Holy Spirit gives you a direction, gives you guidance, gives you a theme, gives you a sign-up, gives you a work, gives you a mission. When the Holy Spirit gives you, and you know, Paul don't, Paul don't wonder, Paul knows. When the Holy Spirit woke you up at 3.30 in the morning for weeks on end, days on end, he woke you up one time at 3.30 in the morning and made himself clear on what he wants. When you know God's given you something to do, the opinions of men cannot be your driving force or your stopping force. And that's what I see here in Paul. Their, their ideas is reminding Paul of what he already knows. You got some bad times coming. Doesn't matter. I, I'm, I'm on my way to do what, what the Holy Spirit wants. It says, 
It says in verse number five that when we had accomplished those days, we departed, went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. Seven days ago, they may not have ever even met these people. And, and yet, here, here they are. See, what we see right there is something that the world doesn't know anything about. It's called Christian community. It's called Christian family. The world don't know nothing about that. Seven days ago, they didn't know these people. But now they've got together. They've prayed together. They've shared together. They've worshiped together. They've brought glory to God together. They've done things. And now here they are weeping again, the same as they did with the elders at Ephesus that they spent two and a half years with. And, and so what you see in that is Christian family. The world has friends in various places. The world has its bar rooms. The world has its clubs. The world has its, its country clubs, its nightclubs, whatever it has that, that bring things together that, that they look for. But there is nothing in the world that can compare to the family of God. There is nothing in the world that can compare to the church. There is nothing in the world that can compare to the oneness of the church, to the oneness. Why do you think the devil tries so hard to stir up arguments within the church? Why do you think it's an abomination to God? He just soweth discord among the brethren because this is God's family. And God don't allow bickering among his children. He'll strap your backside. Anybody allow your children to fight in the house? God ain't going to have it either. So, so why, why wouldn't the devil want to come in and sow discord in the church? Why wouldn't the devil want to try to sow problems amongst brothers and sisters? This is the family of God. The entire church is the family of God. It's not just faith. This is our immediate family. This is the ones that live in our house. But we got family all over the world, right? It, it, it's the church. So, so what we see here is that they've gathered together with, with the family. They had the final prayer with them. They get back on board the ship. It says in the midst of tears that's going to be caused by separation. This is the second time in this little passage we see them heartbroken over separation. Isn't it good to know if you read the end of the book, you find out that ain't never going to happen one day? Isn't it good to know there's a day coming when there won't be any more tears, there won't be any more sorrow, there won't be any more pain, there won't be any more night. There will be no more separation. There won't be any. I mean, just in this little short passage, you've got two heartbreaks over here because you're being separated from family. Because you're being separated from ones that, that you love. But, but there's a day when all things will pass away. And separation is one of those things that will pass away. We won't have to deal with it anymore. Verse number 7 it says that we had finished our course from, from Tyre. We came to Ptolemaeus and, and we saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. Ptolemaeus, that would have been a, a Roman colony here in the days of Paul. And, and what theologians tell us is that there's a church there and that that church was probably built about the same time as the church of Tyre. But Paul had a day to spend. So Paul did what Paul always does. He went and found somebody to preach to. He went and found somebody to love on. He went and found somebody to share the gospel with. He wasn't going to sit on the ship and wait for a day to let set sail tomorrow. He, he wasn't going to sit up on the Lido deck and check out the soft serve ice cream. He, he wasn't waiting until dinner time to decide if he's going to get lobster or prime rib on, on this ship. He, he's going to get off the cruise ship. Well, really, it ain't. It's a working ship, but beside the point. He, he's going to get off and make time. I, I listened to a thing today. It wasn't about eight or nine minutes long by Billy Graham, and it talked about time. And that's what that's the, the whole nine minutes, Billy Graham, talking about time and the importance of time. And he said, listen, man, you think you got a little bit of time left there? You can't just put it up and use it tomorrow. 
And you talked about the 1,440 minutes in a day and, and, and the each, each day and how many hours and, and, and all we've got and, and how important time is. And when you waste it, you can't get it back. Paul didn't waste time. See, one is a personality trait. Paul didn't waste time when he was Saul of Tarsus. He sought hard to persecute the church. He didn't waste time, so it was a character trait of his. But once he became a child of God, he didn't change. He worked just as hard or harder for God as he did when he was working against God. So, so what we see is he has a day right here, and he says, I'm going to take a day, and, and I'm going to go spend some time with the brethren. And, and then in verse number 8, the next day we were that were Paul's company departed, and we came into Caesarea. We entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven in the boat with him. One of the seven, if you remember, this is one of the first seven deacons of the church. Remember when the apostles appoint yourself seven men to see to the matters, talking about the Grecian wives and those things. And, and, and the, the apostles said that we may give ourselves continually to prayer. So Philip is, is not only one of the first seven deacons of the church, but he's the first missionary of the church. Remember, he's the one that went down the road to the south toward Gaza and, and spoke to the Enoch and led him to the Lord. And, and then the Lord sent him on a missionary trip. So he technically is the first missionary that, that goes out that we have here in the Bible. And now here it begins to talk about that he stayed at his house and he's got these daughters that it says, the daughters prophesy, and there's a lot of things there I'd like to kind of talk about and look at with Philip, so it really makes a good place to stop since we got three minutes left anyway, and they're going to expect us to come get our lovely little children. So, um, Lord willing, Lord willing, we're going to pick up right there next week and a little bit of time with Philip and see how God used Philip and how God has built some things around Philip, because every one of us are Philips. Every one of us would make ourselves available. We're just Philips. If we make ourselves available, see, I can't say that God ain't ever told me to go down the road to the south toward Gaza. But I can say on that day, I was probably too busy. I already have my agenda planned. I already have my meetings planned. I already have my day scheduled out. I'm fixing the clothes. Somebody say amen. You ain't got to let me hang by myself because I ain't the only one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes there's some men down on the road to the south toward Gaza that need somebody to preach to. And God's got a whole lot of Phillips right here. But, but the Phillips of 2023 of Faith Baptist Church, we got our calendars full. I got it right here. It's going to buzz in the morning and tell me everything I'm supposed to do tomorrow. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And going down the road to the south toward Gaza to reach somebody that's lost on the way to hell, it ain't on this calendar. So what do you do when God changes your calendar? Well, anyway, like I said, we'll look at Philip next week. So you got something to look forward to, right? God, thank you so much, God. I, I thank you. I thank you that you can love me in spite of me, God. I, I thank you that you can love me in spite of all my faults and all my failures and all of the roads that you've told me to take that I didn't, all the places you've told me to go that I squandered, all the time that I've wasted, and yet you can, can love me, God. It's absolutely Amazing that you could love somebody like me, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for these, your children, God, our family right here at Faith. Lord, I pray you'd bless every family represented in this place. I pray you'd, I pray you'd pour your blessings out upon them. Lord, your word says, open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. There be not room enough to receive it. I pray a hedge of protection around their families, God. I pray you'd go before them and go with them, keep them safe. Lord, we pray for those that are hurting tonight, for those that are in need. I ask you, God, would you, would you just intervene there, God? Meet each one according to their need. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.